This is Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. Fiction and nonfiction, graphic novels, and more. We're here to help you find something great to read. Welcome to Books and Nachos, the Venganza Media podcast about everything in print. Stuart in L.A. here with some great news. James Bond is alive and well and returning for a sixth novel, Dr. No. Even though author Ian Fleming was somewhat bored with telling Bond stories, or so he claimed, certainly left open the possibility that Bond was not going to return at the end of From Russia With Love, the last novel, when Rosa Klebb got a kick in with her poison tip boot, I really didn't know whether Bond would stand up or not. Or, okay, I knew, because I've seen what all the things I have to read, and there's a lot more material coming down the pike. But I imagine people at the time, readers, did not know whether Fleming would get the bug again to write more 007. And But the good news is that they didn't have to wait that long. In 1958, less than a year after publishing From Russia With Love, they get their answers. And it's not really well defined what happened to Bond. Apparently, the paramedics on the scene were familiar with Karari, the poison that had been introduced into his bloodstream, and applied the necessary techniques to make sure that he healed. Who cares? The point of the matter is that Fleming wants to tell more Bond adventures. And the last one was so great, I want him to tell more too. When we first see Bond, he is being called before M to explain how things have been going. It's been several months. He's been in some pain, recovering. He has not been on another mission since. I really think that it's his ego is the one that got suffered the most. The fact that Rosa got the upper hand on him probably gnawed at him. And it is mentioned that Rosa was killed. She didn't go into a prison. She's dead. And Bond is doing the best that he can. It really got me thinking about how much this guy has suffered in these novels. When you think about it, the beating that he took in Casino Royale and Diamonds Are Forever and then having this near-death experience. Well, I can understand why M takes pity on him and decides to send him on a working holiday. He's going to be sent down to Jamaica under the pretense of doing a little investigation on a missing persons case, but mostly because M thinks that some fun in the sun is exactly what Bond needs. And before he lets him get on the plane, he does a big deal here. He makes him turn in his gun. For the past five novels, Bond has been using a Beretta. It malfunctioned, and that was why Rosa got the upper hand there. And so now, Bond is being given a new gun, what I would consider his signature gun, the Walter PPK. This is it. This is the moment. It happens right here at the start of Dr. No. Bond gets his Walter PPK. And while I'm Happy to see him alive, I wish I could say the same thing for Strangway, the British operative that is stationed and lives in Jamaica, the one that we met in the second Bond novel, Live and Let Die. He was a real fun character. He was almost more of the movie-style Bond than the real Bond that we have here on the page. He was fun and light and kind of a ladies' man, and I just liked the rapport and the energy that he brought when he and his native companion, Quarrel, came into Live and Let Die, it really helped that novel with all of the problems I was having it, giving it some entertainment value. I knew it was coming because, of course, I have seen the movie of Dr. No. It was the first movie released, and I'm reviewing all of them over at our sister podcast, nowplayingpodcast.com. The movie opens with Strangway being assassinated. I'm not surprised that the novel also starts with three blind men picking up guns and 
mowing Strangway down as he heads into his office, and then they go into the office and take out his secretary, Mary Trueblood, and dump their bodies into the reservoir. Uh, But it is disappointing to me that we don't get more Strangway adventures. Even more disappointing, the assassinations are done by Chingros. Chinese Negroes. Chingros. Ah. Boy, if there was something I did not want to return from Live and Let Die, it was the uncomfortable racial politics. It was the demonizing of a ethnicity. Here, described as big Negroes with yellowish skin and slanting eyes, who both bow and shuffle to, of course, typify the stereotypes of both Chinese and black people. I, you know, you gotta love that about Fleming, that he really just was not a progressive in thinking about race relations. Now, Chingros are a real demographic in Jamaica. Fleming was living there. He knew about them. My beef is strictly with the fact that he classifies every single one as evil as out to bring down the British Empire, as we should recognize by the color of their skin that they're up to no good. I don't like it. I really didn't like it in Live and Let Die. I'm happy to report that it's much a less part of this story. This is the kickoff to the adventure. Bond is coming down here to find out what happened to Strangway and to his secretary, Mary. That's the mystery that he's doing while he's relaxing. The Chingros are what get the plot kicked off, but they don't become a big plot. Eventually, we are going to get to Dr. No, and it doesn't take that much time. I'm happy to report, too, that one of the big changes from the movie and the book is how much more expedient this mystery is. When I reviewed Dr. No, I ultimately didn't recommend it, partly because this investigation just felt meandering. It was filled with silly tidbits and just lots of things that weren't adding up. And here, Fleming does a much better job of telling a streamlined, cogent story. He really focuses in on the parts that matter, and none of the stuff in the movie that I bumped up against are here. For example, we get Quarrel, a fun sidekick. I really liked him, but there's no Felix. There's no CIA agent. They didn't need him. I think the movie introduced Felix because he is a big part of many James Bond novels, but he has no role in the story, and Fleming knew it, so he doesn't bring Felix in here. And there's no professor with a giant tarantula that's being sent to assassinate Bond. There is a scene like the tarantula scene, but it is a poisonous centipede. I am fine with a poisonous centipede as long as the animal is poisonous. It makes a valid assassin. If you put a non-poisonous spider in a man's bed, don't be surprised that he gets up the next day. I mean, that was my beef, is that it just didn't make any sense. There was drawn-out scenes of Bond driving all the way out of town to meet Miss Taro and have sex with Miss Taro and then throw Miss Taro in jail and then take on the professor after. All of that stuff is gone here. You know, there is a Miss Taro. She's nefarious. She's working at the government, but it's just a tiny bit. It's just great that Fleming is able to condense what took well over an hour of the movie into 70 pages. Less than a third of this novel is this investigation. And by making it so fleet, it really is just much more entertaining. It's a page-turner. Before you know it, Bond realizes that he needs to go find out what No is doing over at Crab Key and hops on a boat to do so. And I'm wondering, well, why did the movie do this then? Why did they go in all those directions? Why didn't they follow the tightness of the story? And the only thing I can come up with is they just must not have wanted to make a movie about bird poop. 
<laughs> I'm serious, because that's what you find out what Dr. Julius No is doing. He is running a bird guano sanctuary on Crab Key. That's his front, it should be said. He is working with the Russians. He is trying to undermine the missile programs over at Cape Canaveral. It's kind of like what he was doing in the movie, I think. I never really totally understood it in the movie, to be honest. But he is doing this Russian plot, but under the guise of being a bird poop salesman. I'm serious. Even like his secret lair that he spent 14 years building, it's like covered in bird poop. I can imagine that the art director of the movie was like, no, we're not doing that. But the bird poop is really a part of the plot. The birds that are there are rare. There's this pink stork creature that is considered precious and a tourist attraction. Jamaica wants to turn that into something that they can advertise, send lots of tourists over. And if Dr. No is trying to do a secret plot, then of course he doesn't want that to happen. So he actually builds this buggy with a flamethrower, calls it a dragon, and starts burning out the birds' nests. And one of the officials catches this dragon doing that, and they're burned. They nearly die of their injuries. They come back with stories of a dragon on the island, and nobody quite believes it, but word of this gets all the way back to Fleming's favorite nuisance, America! The Audubon Society, bird lovers. There is a group in America that is out to protect populations of birds and will get into big skirmishes with governments over protecting and preserving wildlife. They hear about birds being burned on an island. They're sending over people to investigate, and their plane mysteriously crashes. And that is why Strangway was brought into the case. Strangway was investigating both the birds, the dragon, and the death of the Audubon people. That's what he was working on when the Chingros came and assassinated him. So Bond is starting to figure all of this out. It's whoever is asking questions ends up dead. And it all leads back to the bird poop salesman. Coraline Bond reach the Crab Key Island and, in fact, do meet Honey Child Rider, who was played by Ursula Andress very famously. She appears in the novel, much like she does, coming out of the waves in the movie. She's described as Botticelli's Venus. And really, the only difference is she has sort of a broken nose. She's not a perfect beauty, that there's a flaw to her face that actually makes her, you know, I think... Some of the things in the movie that just read as being childlike and undeveloped has more to do with the fact that she's unsocialized. She hides from people. She just seems to be very self-conscious about her broken nose. I like that detail. It justified sort of her socially awkward almost childlike behavior and really brings out sort of a macho quality in this bond up to this point i've been seeing david niven on the page but i could see why they would cast connery if you were making dr no the first one because this bond is a little more aggressive i think maybe he's encouraged by the fact that he has the upper hand that this woman feels bad about herself so he can boss her around he actually ends up kind of talking down to her and really being in control he's much more connery-esque this time in dealing with honey and does get to be with her in a way that when I think about his past romances they all felt a little bit more tragic and here this is the start of maybe a new chapter for Bond this is the start of that playboy Lothario well the three do end up encountering the fire breathing dragon this buggy that is a flamethrower that burns out birds nest and Quarrel is killed and Honey and Bond are taken captive and taken underneath the bird poop into the secret lair where they meet Dr. No. 
I really wasn't crazy about this character on the screen. He's a little bit more interesting here on the page. I don't think all the problems are resolved. I really don't know what makes him tick. But we do get a very long biography about how he came to be here. And that we learn that his father was a German missionary who came to China. And he was a product of their union. He was considered an outcast, wound up with gangs that brought him eventually to New York City. He worked for the Tongs. A rival Tong came and tortured him, cut off his hands, shot him in the heart, or what they thought was the heart, but he apparently has a heart on the other side, where, where most people have, in their rib cage. I didn't even know that was possible, but the point of it is, he survives this near-death attack from the tongs, goes into hiding, has his face cosmetically changed, has his hair removed, has mechanical claws put on the stumps where his hands used to be. This is going undercover? <laughs> I didn't think that this was, like, a good disguise, but I think he'd stand out, particularly since the guy's like six feet anyway. But he goes to Milwaukee to study medicine and then rouses up the money that allows him to go and buy the island of Crab Key, where he's been working since 1943, selling bird poop and building this lair to get back at America. He calls himself Dr. No because Julius No, his father's name was Julius, and No is the rejection of his father. So that's as much as character defining moments as we get. It's a very long passage explained to Bond and Honey over dinner, but I don't know that I ever really understood why you make the jump to him wanting to side with Russians and attack America. I I don't know. Maybe if the dead were American, I could follow that a little bit more. But one thing's for sure. I do like this character. It is closer to sort of the big, over-the-top villain that I was looking for in the movie and didn't get. And speaking over the top, we also get a climax that I totally wasn't expecting. Much different than in the movie. The movie, he sort of ends up crawling around in a nuclear reactor, and I didn't know what it was. And I made a big point in my head to say that once I got to this novel, I was really going to try and understand what was going on there. Well, the movie made it up. This is a different ending here in the book. It's almost like the movie we're reviewing over at NowPlayingPodcast.com this week, Man with the Golden Gun. We end up finding that no has has all of these torture chambers and that he's going to make Honey and Bond go through all of these game of death kind of contraptions that he's hoping to kill them but he's really wanting to push them to the breaking point point. so there are tarantulas and crabs and a squid and Bond has to do all of this battling of the animals until he actually gets back to know and dumps bird guano on him and I, I guess it's death by bird poop and he and Honey can go off to have sex, finally. The R&R that M wanted him to have, he's finally going to get after taking out Dr. No. At the end of the day, I really, I did like this one. You know, it is very similar to a book that Fleming already wrote. It does feel very similar to Live and Let Die, but my complaints about that novel were many, and here it was the right choice not to go to America to minimize the racial politics and to really just make it a fun adventure about a scary island that Bond uncovers the truth about. It's an improvement over Live and Let Die and also an improvement over the movie adaptation. I feel like Dr. No works better as a novel than it did as a movie. 
doesn't hit the heights of Casino Royale or From Russia With Love, but not everyone is going to be that way. I'm just happy that Fleming has regrouped, you know, I think he chose a location that was close to home and told a story that he had told before as something to just get him back in the mood, and I'd like to think that this is the warm-up for another great Bond adventure, because next week, we're getting to Goldfinger. That's a big one in the movies, and I've really been anxious to see how it was going to play out in the page. We'll know next week when we get there. In the meantime, keep reading. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for listening to Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can catch back episodes at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at potsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved.